The revolution is here. A movement of people free to live, work, and choose. We won't tell you what to think. We just demand that you think for yourself. This is Kibbe on Liberty. Okay, well, welcome both of you. This is a special, let's call it an emergency meeting on a Sunday morning in Washington, D.C. Robert, you are a um, now friend of the show. You've been here before. Welcome back. Good to be back. Thanks for having me on. And Eric, you're the new guy, and we're going to get into why you're here. Um, but um, and and you are the uh, owner and co-founder of Big Board, which is a restaurant here in Washington D.C., about six blocks from from my house. Yeah, yeah, not far at all. I, I walked here from there. Thank you very much for uh, for having me on. I really yeah. appreciate it. And uh, uh, we're talking about the the District of Columbia government. Um, in my mind, arbitrarily shutting down your restaurant because because you refuse to comply with with basically carting people as to their vaccination status. Uh, that's correct, and it it's I'm not the only restaurant in the city where that's happening. That's happening all over the city. I'm just the only restaurant in the city who said that they weren't going to do it. Yeah, yeah. You you had the audacity to to say out loud that you weren't going to discriminate against people, but uh, and and somehow or another. Um, uh, Robert heard about your story, and you are now representing him. Um, but before we get into that, I want to I want to take a step back because the last time we spoke, and I I don't actually remember when exactly it was, but it was before the Supreme Court decided um, made a at least a preliminary decision on the OSHA Vaxport thing that the Biden administration was doing. Um, you were involved in that, and we were speculating as to what was going to happen. But remind us what happened and, and the role that you played in that. Sure, absolutely. I'm, I'm trying to think where we were in the process, but ultimately, the Buckeye Institute, we represented a couple of different uh, employers in, in Ohio uh, and in Michigan who were challenging the vaccine mandate, who were concerned about what it would do to their business businesses, what it would do to their employees. Uh, and so they, we were seeking a stay of the vaccine mandate, which applied to any employer with more than 100 employees, put them in a position where uh, they had to either verify that their employees had been vaccinated. If they refused, then they were in a position of having to terminate them. Alternatively, they could do a testing requirement. But again, if, they, if their employees failed to meet the, those requirements and to, get ma to be masked, uh, then again, they'd have to be terminated all at a time where these companies were struggling just to be able to get employees, as so many uh, employers are, to keep their operations running. So we, uh, we actually, along the way, uh, a couple of things worth noting, we were the first uh, of the, the various, various petitioners who were challenging this, uh, uh, this mandate from the Biden administration to ask the full Sixth Circuit, all 16 judges, to hear the case. And that produced a, a very powerful dissent from Chief Judge Sutton, arguing that, in fact, the full court should have heard the case and that the stay should, stay, should have stayed in place. Following that, we were the first uh, to petition the United States Supreme Court uh, to stay the matter. And ultimately, they, the Supreme Court did agree with our arguments there. They they went ahead and stayed, which is to say they prevented the enforcement of the mandate because it ex because the mandate itself exceeded OSHA's power. There, it, there's simply no way to read what it is that Congress authorized OSHA to do and, and to say that what happened here 
an attempt to force 84 million Americans uh, to sh provide proof of vaccination was within OSHA's prerogatives. Uh, and it really goes, I think, as we discussed previously, to the larger issue here, which is the Biden administration, probably the real truth of this was Ron Klain's retweet in which he talked about this as a, the ultimate workaround, it was an attempt by the federal government to work around limits on federal power uh, using OSHA and other agencies uh, that they also issued mandates through in order to get to individual vaccination decisions. So the Buckeye Institute was proud to, to have uh, represented our clients and have succeeded in that. After the Supreme Court ruled, the Biden administration went ahead and withdrew uh, that emergency rule. So, so a good a, a good victory uh, for employers and employees nationwide. Yeah. So, so Eric, you you probably don't um, know this, but before I met you about two and a half weeks ago, um, I had um, decided that as a resident of the District of Columbia, I would not be showing my vaccination papers to any restaurant. I actually, I belong to a gym on Capitol Hill and I moved my oh, gym wow. to Virginia. Um, and by the way, and people that watch this show, I don't talk about it a lot because it's, it's nobody's damn business, but I am vaccinated. And then two weeks later I got COVID. And now I have uh, the robust natural immunity that, that uh, Dr. Fauci promised me. Um, but so I, I have papers, but I am not showing them um, because there's a bigger principle here than whether or not it's convenient to do this. And so when uh, my wife Terry and I found your restaurant, it was because of the tweet that you did. And I, I, and I wanna read this tweet, and because we were like, okay, we, we now know at least one restaurant in DC that we can go to. And, and this was so radical, so controversial. Um, you tweeted on, what day is this? Uh, January 13th. As has always been the case for us, everyone is welcome. This rule applies yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Hopefully, we'll see you on January 16th. And of course, January 15th was the day that the mayor's vaccination uh, passport, man, I don't know what to call it exactly. Show me your papers is how I call it. Um, and that made you a celebrity, notorious, a political football, um, when you tweeted that, did you think that this was controversial to say such a thing? I, I didn't think it was controversial at all, and uh, I still don't think it's controversial at all. Um, and I never imagined that this would become what it's become. Uh, I actually had a journalism student from uh, Patrick Henry University who came down a little bit after that, and I was like, yeah, I, I think it'd be a pretty fantastic idea. Her Emma Perley's her name. So I think it'd be a pretty fast, fantastic idea for you to go ahead and print this in your school newspaper. And uh, and then I got a call from a producer on Anger Mangle, and they said, do you want to go on the Anger Mangle? And I was like, wow. Uh, and before I did that, I looked at the producer, and I was like, well, I have to go ask Emma because she uh, she has exclusive rights to my story, so I'm <laughs> going to make sure before I do this that she's, she's okay with it. And uh, she's fantastic, really, really. Uh, working on her journalism, working on doing something in the future. And um, she was like, Eric, I don't think you should pass up this opportunity. Yeah. So, I, so, so you went on Laura Ingram's show. Uh, what day was that? That was probably like the 16th, 17th, something like that. I, it's got to be somewhere around there. Um, Close enough for this show. And, and that, that really, 
then sort of exploded into the national debate. And, and, and one question I have for both of you, like I, I, to this day, I don't get the politics of, of how sort of partisan this is. Like to me, like I, I remember a day when every decent American believed that um, everyone welcome was just like a, a core bedrock principle. And you're actually describing a little bit earlier. This is this is a legal principle that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Oh yeah, this is this is essentially when we talk about in the law public accommodations. You know, generally speaking, the the term grew up from England and the King's Highway. And when the King would grant uh, permission for a business, an inn, or a tavern, or a restaurant to set up on the King's Highway to serve people, the requirement was that they had to take all comers. Uh, you know, another way of saying everyone is welcome. You couldn't discriminate. And that's a principle that is applied uh, from England through to the U.S. law. Uh, you know, so the idea that this is somehow controversial, that, you, that that's how you should treat patrons, uh, uh, really sort of term, turns, you know, the, the legal tradition on its head. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's about... You, you were tell so we were um, over at your restaurant uh, a couple days ago um, yeah. um, shooting some footage and and you were telling me privately that uh, generally speaking the neighborhood that that you have served now for a dozen years has been cool but there's a few neighbors that won't look you in the eye anymore like it, I, and it's it's so political like like what how do you read that because because you're you're not political i know i'm i'm not political i think um i think everybody's going to come around i do i don't think that anything that that's there is uh is political welcoming everybody is is the right way to do things um but it's been a long two years for some people and when you are inundated with all of this information that tells you hey Bars and restaurants may not be your best place to go right now, which I don't believe is true at all. Um, sometimes it takes people a little bit of time to get to their comfort zone. Yeah. Um, and it's not, we didn't do anything. We didn't say that you can't wear a mask. We didn't say that you can't be vaccinated and come in. I didn't say to my staff, you don't have a job if you can't wear a mask. Some of my staff wore masks and some of them didn't. It was their choice. Um, and same for the customers. We didn't berate you if you came in. We just tried to make you comfortable. Uh, we would actually take, we had customers come in who were like, they're too close. We've got two different floors. We'd sit them upstairs when we weren't staffed for it and let them sit all by themselves if that was where they wanted to be. And that made them comfortable. So you mentioned two years, and I think it's, it's worth reiterating um, as a restaurant owner, it's been a long two years. Uh, um, because you've been um, the dist I don't remember the history right now, but the District of Columbia has been fairly aggressive um, in terms of locking down gatherings um, multiple times, as I recall, over the last two years. Um, as a restaurant owner, how have you survived? Uh, one, the neighborhood. They would come in whatever our conditions were. So when we were only allowed to be a carryout, which was three months in D.C. Um, they would come in and order carryout food, and they would buy to-go drinks from us. Um, and then when we were able to sit 50% capacity for most of the last summer of 2020, um, people would come in and find a chair and sit. Uh, and 
my staff came into work and they kept coming with all of the news and all of the things that you heard they they came in and yeah i'm sure they were a little bit worried at times uh, but they just kept on coming into work uh, how we how we made it beyond that i have no idea yeah. uh, <laughs> the the staff and the people tenacity tenacity <laughs> so so robert I, I was asking you um on the last show and and kind of complaining as as a resident of the district of columbia i i barely knew who muriel bowser was as my mayor until lockdowns happened and maybe that makes me a bad citizen i don't know but i i happen to believe that i i'd, I'd rather live in a place where i don't necessarily need to know who the politicians are um, i could guess what her political affiliation is because everybody's a democrat in dc but um, i was asking you like what, how does she have the power to do this? How does a mayor or a governor or a president, I don't care who, which party, like um, you're, you're just gonna arbitrarily um, decide that some people can't do their business? So, uh, you know, this arises like it has in a number of other places from the use of emergency powers. And I, I really think it gets to the core of, of Eric's case. Uh, we've now been in the District of Columbia in a two-year state of emergency. Two years. That's no longer a state of emergency. That's a full term of Congress. And so by virtue of, ha of having these continual renewals of emergency orders, essentially what the city has done is they've blocked any substantive review of these requirements. So first of all, D.C. law under the Home Rule Act Ordinarily, when a, when a law passes, there's a 30-day period before it goes into effect, which allows Congress to review it and, if they wish to, override it through a joint resolution. That requirement doesn't apply for emergency laws. And so for the past two years, all of these orders have been insulated from any review by Congress. Obviously, that's pretty important when you're dealing with the sorts of orders that we're talking about that potentially close down, put vaccine re vaccination record requirements to businesses within the federal district where con you know Congress is doing its business, where people are coming to visit their representatives. Uh, the second thing that they did with these orders is they literally closed the courthouse doors. Uh, when when Eric got his his suspension, his license suspension, it made clear on you know on the bottom of the order referencing DC law that he was not allowed to appeal in court until the emergency ended. Literally the courthouse doors are closed. This fundamentally violates basic principles of due process uh, and uh, you know this attempt to sort of create almost a law-free zone in which these emergency orders are able to operate without any substantive check, either by Congress or by the courts. So, so Eric, you um, sent the tweet heard around the world, and how soon before you got a response from the government? As I recall the story, um, suddenly regulators started knocking on your door. Is that a fair that, that's very fair characterization. If I sent that tweet on the uh, morning of uh, January 13th, on the evening of January 14th, uh, the government uh, liquor board agents or Aberrant DC was there to visit me. By the way, I'm shocked. As someone that lives in the district, 
our government is not that efficient. Um, but but that's some tight turnaround. They showed up the next day. Yeah, the the fifteenth, and then or the fourteenth, the fifteenth, the sixteenth. It snowed in D.C., so they didn't show up. And the seventeenth was uh, a national holiday, so they didn't show up on the seventeenth. Um, but then the eighteenth, the nineteenth, the twentieth, the twenty-first. Um, they were very, very, very efficient in shutting me down. Yeah, but they they. Like it was for a bit. It was a drip, drip, drip. Like, um, did did you get like minor infractions that they wrote you up for, so or it, they just they were just there to remind you that they were in charge? So the the way that it worked was they came in the, hey, this is going into effect tomorrow on January fourteenth. We're going to give you a warning for your staff not wearing masks. And it was it was kind of funny. They would come in and I looked just like I am now, and they'd ask me, "Are you wearing a mask?" And I just didn't know how to answer the question. <laughs> you have eyes. Yeah, it, um, seemed, it seemed like the, an obvious. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, and then on the fifteenth they came in and they said, "Hey, this is a this is a you have to do this." So today we're going to give you a formal written warning, and for not checking vaccine, we're going to give you a verbal warning. And then on the sixteenth, the agent of Abra, the DC Liquor Board, came in, and he just straight out yelled at me. And he said, I don't think you understand. This, the mayor knows about this. You are, this is important. You are not doing this, and you're not doing this. And I said, oh, well, thank you very much for coming by. Um, about three hours later, he came back and said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just doing my job. I said, okay. Um, but on the slow drip, 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 yeah, it's slow drip, 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 but it's every day, so... Yeah. Every day it's new tasks that they've given me beyond the stuff that I just have to do to keep the restaurant open. Yeah. And you ultimately lost your liquor license. Uh, how much, how how far after the tweet? So the, the tweet, uh, 14 days after the tweet. Yeah. So two weeks. Um, and I've been down there for 10 years. The government agencies came to visit my restaurant more in that two weeks than they did in the previous 10 years combined. Yeah, yeah. Um, and ultimately, they just shut you down. It happened to be the first night that I was there with with Terry and, and Logan, um, because as I said, I was I was not going to any restaurants that, that were requiring me to show my papers. And I'm sure there's other places I could go in DC. I just don't know where they are, and I don't want to go through that process if i knew of any any place where that was the case i most certainly would not say it out loud sure yeah well you, you don't want to bring down this reign of hellfire that that you've experienced but um i was we we were there with and there was a bunch of people there which turned about to be the last night you were legally allowed to serve food and it it, it was kind of funny because when they came in that so this is after the liquor license has been removed and when they removed the liquor license they actually sent the agent down who was doing it with a police officer and I was like why do you guys have a police officer you're more than welcome to come in and I looked at the police officer like you're more than welcome to come in too there's not going to be any problems uh three days later because even without a liquor license we were busy on Friday we were busy on Saturday we were busy on Sunday um on Monday, we closed down so that I could fix the things that the health department asked me to do. I'd have to do some drywall repair, fix some plumbing, all, all stuff that was within my capabilities of doing. And then Tuesday, when the health department came in and ultimately shut us down, the first thing that they showed me was, hey, we've already got the paper that's going to shut you down that we're going to tape on your front door. 
then they went and did their inspection and were like, oh, you fixed everything. <laughs> and uh, so, so you're, you're saying it was, it was perhaps premeditated. I, I, I believe it was preordained. Yeah, yeah. So one, one of the ironies or whatever of this, Robert, is that this vaccine mandate, I, and I have a theory as to why the mayor backed down so quickly, but this, this whole mandate paradigm only lasted about a month. And then she she immediately pulled it back, and and I suspect it was because it was probably damaging DC small businesses, and she was probably getting a lot of pushback for that. We don't know why she didn't say um, every, everything that she has done. She claims is part of the science, but nothing changed in terms of the data. Um, how is he still closed, even though? there is no longer a vaccine mandate in place? That is a great question. Uh, because as, as when you were talking to him earlier, you, you also noted his, you know, there's, su suffice it to say, there's reason to believe that his was not the only restaurant that at least wasn't consistently enforcing the, the rules. The difference was he actually had the courage to say something about it. And because of that, his restaurant was closed down. And, and I use the word courage advisedly there. Um, Professor David Azarad from Hillsdale College refers to courage uh, as, as being, a bold, uh, being the bold and principled uh, um, defiance of the lies of our age. And you know, I think you know, that describes Eric's approach. He, he was willing to stand up, uh, and once again, without you know getting into to, you know, sort of a great deal of detail, just push back against the idea that we should be telling people that they can't come in if they don't have their papers, if they don't have their their vaccination card. And so now that they've re that the city has reversed course, nonetheless, he is still closed. So that quite frankly, is where, where the Buckeye Institute has come in uh, to represent him. We are in the process of seeing if we can get D.C. government to come to their senses. And if they don't, we'll see them in court. By the way, I meant to, to offer my viewers a challenge, and there would have been like free gifts and prizes if people could figure out without me introducing you to who the lawyer was <laughs> and who the bartender was. <laughs> I mean, do you sleep in that suit, really? You know, on a good <laughs> night, yeah. <laughs> um, actually, uh, we should have brought it up, but uh, um, people will see it um, when, when we uh, release another video we're working on. But um, I saw a picture of you in your dress whites um, shaking hands with, I suppose it was Vice President Al Gore, right? Vice President Al Gore at the time, yes. So yes. you are a veteran. Um, and and tell us a little bit, just just a quick history of, of, of how you served your country. Um, so, I'm Naval Academy graduate, uh, 1997 is when I graduated. I just made a lot of my classmates really happy by saying 1997 on the air. Um, uh, from there, I went and joined the Navy Submarine Force, uh, and I was on the USS Olympia uh, out of Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Uh, did two Western Pacific deployments. On my second deployment, we deployed on July 3rd of 2001 because there's no way we could ever possibly 
celebrated July 4th and deployed on the 5th. That's yeah. the, the wisdom of the Navy. Um, and uh, if you all remember, in September of that year, some really terrible stuff happened. And uh, we were out there uh, after that. I want to say we did 57 days underway, followed by a four-hour stopover to reload food and 26 more. Uh, this was very, very, very interesting times. I can't, uh, I can't imagine spending that. And I've, I've been on some of these submarines, but I, I can't imagine spending, would you say, 57 days? F 57 days and followed by 26, I want to say. That's so intense. It, it's a, it's a, it's weird because you don't live in the same world that people live in. Yeah. Uh, you don't get emails for three months. You don't know what's going on in the outside world. I didn't see a plane flying into the World Trade Center until October of 2001. Um, I, have, I still have the newspapers that people sent me uh, at my house that came to us when we pulled into port. Uh, and Normally when you pull into port, everybody wants to get off the submarine as fast as they can. When we pulled in after September 11th, nobody left because there was so much mail that had come for us and so many videos that everybody just sat down and put the VHS in and watched because we had no idea. We hadn't seen any of it. Um, you just dated yourself. Do we need to explain to <laughs> what a VHS tape is? But. We'll, we'll do another show on that. I, I, I was going to say, given the, the amount of vinyl that you have. Uh. Yeah, uh, yeah, I suspect that if we start naming um, graduation dates, I'm going to lose this 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 test of, of nostalgia. But So you, you, you served your country. Um, fast forward to um, you and I believe your brother decided to open a bar. Uh, yeah, and, and just like everybody when they're uh, 21 and they go out to a bar, I, I decided at that point I wanted to open up my own bar because I, I loved it. And uh, I was just the one who was crazy enough to follow through on the plan to yeah. continue saving and doing it. And my brother had moved what, out. What, what did you, why, why when you were 21? Like, what was it about a bar that was so romantic to you that you're like, I'm going to do this someday? Uh, I don't know. It, the, the feeling of com camaraderie. The, the people that community. were there, community. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I grew up watching Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I always loved the idea of a place where everybody knows your name. Yeah. Um, and my brother had the vision to come to Northeast Washington, D.C. well before it looked like it does now. And I didn't believe him. I didn't believe him that Northeast D.C. would be a good place to open up a bar. I was completely wrong. It's a fantastic place. It is. And so you opened, what, about 10 years ago? Yeah, uh, October of uh, 2011. So a little bit more than 10 years. I feel like um, your bar, as, as a beer geek, if people watch this show, they know that I obsess about beer, but I feel like you were um, sort of one of the OG bars that said, we're, we're going to have a lot of craft beer on tap. Uh, yeah, and all the way from the beginning, we have had a lot of craft beer uh, from New Belgium, uh, from but from... Dogfish Head, from all of these great breweries that are there, big ones, small ones, DC Brow, the ones that are in. And what we try to do is you go to a lot of places and all they have are IPAs. They've got 15 different IPAs that you can select. And I'd want, i like to say, and we're not the forerunners of it or the first doing it, but we have always had a good balance where you can get a good stout, you can get a good sour, you can get a pale ale, you can get an IPA, you can get uh, a hazy IPA, 
all, all of the different styles of beers that are out there. And this is something worth fighting for. <laughs> that right is there. absolutely okay. true. <laughs> so, um, so, so where are we right now? Like, um, he's still shut down. I can't get at that beer selection. Um, what's what, what's going to happen next? And 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 how do we how do we get a little bit of freedom back here in the District of Columbia? So again, for. For most, uh, for for most other restaurants, it, you it, you know if you go in, the vaccine mandate has been lifted. You can you can go into two DC restaurants now, and you don't have to show your vaccine card, and yet he remains closed. The mask mandate is supposed to be lifted at the end of this month, so beginning I believe March first, that should also be lifted, uh, and uh, but nonetheless. Uh, he remains closed. So we've we have sent a demand letter to the city and given them uh, uh, two business days. Uh, uh, we're talking now during a holiday weekend, but once the uh, the city reopens, to go ahead and reply to our demand that he uh, that his licenses be reinstated immediately and that he be able to reopen. Uh, and as I said, I I would hope, given the fact that they've abandoned this policy, that they would go ahead and come to their senses and go and reinstate his ability to run his business. If not, then we'll go ahead and, as I've said before, see them in court. Yeah. So one, one thing I forgot to, to mention, one of the things you told me that night that, that we were there, and, and it again, it, it accidentally turned into a gathering for Senator Rand Paul and his staff and Congressman Thomas Massey, and there was like three or four other congressmen there, I, I think, and and at least at least for some of them, they had um, quit the Capitol Hill Club for the same reason that I wouldn't go to a restaurant. They didn't they didn't want to show vaccination papers just in, for the privilege of going into a restaurant. So they had gathered at your place. Is perhaps the only time in my life that I was excited to be at a dry bar. Um, thank you, Mayor Bowser. Um, but one of the things you said that night that that seems so obvious but I hadn't really thought of it is like um, my staff is here to serve customers I don't have the resources or the people to um, start checking people's health status and that that's absolutely true one it's none of my business two it's not my job and uh, three people make a lot of false equivalencies and they're like you have to check everybody's ID so why can't you do this also? I don't have to check everybody's ID every time they walk through the door. If you think I'm carting a 65-year-old when they come in to order a beer from me, I'm not because I'm not liable. If you're of age and I don't check your ID, I'm not liable that I gave you a beer. The way that the mandate was written in D.C. was such that my neighbor, who I would know, who I know what they drink, I know what they eat, I know their kids' names. Every single time they walked through the door, I was required to check their vaccination card and their ID every single time without failure. Uh, that's, if I can remember what you drink and what your kids' names are, I could certainly remember that I had done that. The policy itself is abhorrent, but apparent, uh, but uh, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah. You've, um, another thing that you've done that, that would strike some people as unusual is that you've tried to keep your team on the payroll 
even though you're not allowed to earn revenue. Um, why are you doing that? Uh, well, because they've been my team and my friends for 10 years. A lot of them have been down there for all of this time. And unlike, they want to work. They really, really, really want to work. They want to do something. And it, it, I wish I could show it to you. Uh, but when they come down and we're doing the little bits of community service that we're doing right now, they're excited and they're happy. And they want to go out because they want the neighborhood to be a better place. And they don't want to sit in their house and just so I'm, I'm not the federal government. I'm not going to give you a check to stay home. You guys still got to come into work and do some stuff. Um, the it gives them a sense of my best guess, a sense of community and a sense of pride because they're still doing something um, for the people who who worked at home, who their job didn't change when everybody got locked down and everything. I don't think you understand how crushing that was for those of us who couldn't go to work, for the people that I had to say, I don't have any work for you, and how mentally hard that is to do, to all of a sudden be told, you don't have a purpose, just sit home and collect money. I, I don't know. I'm just so happy that they're here now yeah. uh, after enduring that for all this time. Uh, that I wouldn't want to leave them without an option to have something to do. So if people are watching this and, I, and they want to help you get through this, um, um, how can they donate to, to keep supporting your team? Um, to keep supporting the team, we've got a couple different methods we can do it. One is uh, givesendgo.com slash everyone is welcome. Uh, and the second one is uh, GoFundMe. And if you look GoFundMe for the big board, you'll be able to find it there. Um, mm -hmm. If you're wondering where this money's going, uh, my rent and utilities are $15,000 every month. I have to keep that pay and going. And yesterday, after only one day of work where we were allowed to make money, I spent $25,000 on payroll for my staff. Uh, my paycheck was not in there. Yeah. And uh, uh, your Twitter, uh, if you want to find uh, both of these, you can find it on the pinned tweet on your Twitter account, which is at the Big Board DC. Thank you. Any, um, and for those who want to follow the case, if you go to buckeyeinstitute.org, we've got details about the case, uh, including, and if you, you go, there'll be, there's, should be the demand letter as well as some information about Eric's story and what, what brought him to this point. And a wild prediction when you're free and open again. Um, I think that Buckeye and Free the People are going to buy a couple rounds of beers. I think uh, I think that is a good prediction. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's here's to uh, here's to being free to do your work. Thank you. And I there's one more thing that I that I thought I'd say. Robert talked about courage, and I don't know if you guys realize this, but this is also very courageous on Robert's part. I talked with a lot of lawyers, a lot of lawyers who said oh, I don't think we can do something in D.C. I don't think this is a good place. I'd rather try this case in some other jurisdiction. He's, I can't thank you enough, Robert, for, for doing this. It's, it's unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you. Well, well I appreciate it. I, I have the best job in the world. I get to sue the government when they overstep their, their bounds and when they uh, end up infringing on the rights of individuals. Uh, and I get to represent good people like Eric uh, 
you know, represent the good guys uh, in these situations. So no one wants a burger with a side of government overreach. And, and uh, I want to make sure that Eric's able to provide that to his customers. Yeah, and uh, for the first time in my life, I will wash that burger down with a craft beer at the big board. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed that show, make sure that you like and subscribe. Click the little bell so that you get notifications. And if you consume this via podcast, go wherever you want to go. We're everywhere. Kibbe on Liberty. The revolution starts now.